Thank you for listening to this message from Sovereign Grace Community Church in Denver, Colorado. We pray that you are encouraged and edified by it. You can find more information about Sovereign Grace Community Church by visiting our website at www.sgccdenver.org. If you would like to make a donation to our small ministry, you can do so using the donate button on our website or on the SGCC Denver sermon audio page. Again, thanks for listening, and may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God our Father and of Jesus our Lord. Thank you, Chris, for the excellent segue into what I'm going to be speaking to this morning. Um, It was just absolutely thrilling to hear that preparation to remind us of the importance of truth, but also to remind us of the importance of untruth and what it does, the great damage that it does to us. So thank you for that. I also want to thank you for that beginning hymn. Now, the deep, deep love of Jesus, of course, that is my favorite hymn, for sure and for certain. Uh, but the first, first hymn is just glorious, and it just reminds me of a time when I spent in Vietnam. We, were, we had taken a hill, and there was a temple behind us, a Buddhist temple that um, had just been shelled. It was all to pieces. There was 35 soldiers in front of us. The chaplain was over in the corner, and this was out in the field. And he had a, a little pump organ, and he was playing. And his favorite hymn was, A Mighty, Mighty Fortress is Our God. And I found it uh, rather odd that we were in such a strange land, in front of a Buddhist temple, in a corrupt nation, in a war zone, singing at the top of our, our lungs, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. What a blessing. So this morning, it gave me uh, sweet memories to remember back of that. And uh, what a blessing it is to have so sweet words placed into a hymn that always rocks our memories, draws us close to our living God. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we bow before you and we ask most humbly that you attend to our service of worship. And you know the circumstances, you know my frailties, you know my weaknesses, and for sure if you do not uh, attend to the preaching of the word, then your word is not going out with the power of the Holy Spirit. And consequently, it will be of no value. But we lean upon you. And I have seen you. I've heard you. I've felt you in our service of worship. So that's what we proclaim this morning. We lean on you this morning. God, I pray that you'll forgive us if we have been participants in the evil that has raged across the world. It's a strange thing in my mind that you have not dispatched the entire world before this. Because evil abounds. We murder, murder babies by the millions. Drugs run in the streets. Divorce and the outlook of marriage is in shambles. Lord, lies abound. Truth is not seen. 
You know, our land, it yearns for a leader that will lead us into a quiet and a safe spot. But our eyes have been been diverted from you. They've been placed on something that cannot give us the delivery that only you can. But my prayer is that this congregation, all of your congregations, be convicted over their participation of the corruption that reigns in our land today. Have mercy on us, Lord. Cause us to awaken up to the sin that resides within us. In Jesus Christ's precious name, amen. <clears throat> you all know the circumstances. Now, this is kind of odd for, for me to be called up on Friday. Steve, go preach on Sunday. Um, but, you know, uh, this is necessary, and we need to be prepared for this. Actually, I want to invite all of you to consider your position. Are you ready to defend the truth at the drop of a hat? Can you speak to your brothers and sisters on the street at the drop of a hat and proclaiming the truth to them that has an effect on their souls? And if not, ask yourself, why not? Do pray for Kit and pray for his uh, quick delivery from this sickness. Pray for all of us concerning sickness. It is certainly not the worst thing that can happen to us, but we do pray for Kit. Well, at that uh, at that setting, with someone asking you to preach a sermon at the, uh, off the top of his his head, I have to deliver to you what is on my heart and has been on my heart for the last at least six months. And so, hopefully, what I have been walking through has been part of your scenario as well. So it won't be altogether foreign um, and irrelevant to to all of our case. And what's been on my mind is trouble. And certainly, as we have seen the year unfold uh, from March on, we have engaged in trouble. It trouble abounds all around us. And the title of my sermon is, What Are You Looking At? What are you looking at in the midst of trouble? And I could have inserted the word, What Are You Really Looking At? In all honesty. And I want you to keep that title in mind as we move through what I have set down because it's very, very relevant to be honest with what we gaze at in the midst of trouble. What are you looking at? Most of what I'm going to be uh, reading from, from Scripture is in Psalm 37. I won't be reading the whole Psalm, but I'm going to be using nuggets within that Psalm to get across my point. But I need to set the stage first concerning trouble. I want to talk about individual troubles first. You know, from cradle to grave, we're surrounded with trouble of one kind or another. All of us agree with that. From my students to the eldest, we all know that from cradle to grave, trouble exists. I was under the strange delusion that as I got older, trouble would kind of go on the back seat. I would not be so plagued with trouble. You know, as you're a kid and people are pounding on your head and the teacher is whacking you, all that kind of stuff, you think that's going to be the height of your troubles in the land. No, sorry. 
I hate to break it to you, but as you get older, I think trouble increases. And so we need to be prepared for the very concept that we are surrounded with trouble and how to deal with trouble. There are times in our lives, and perhaps some of you in the congregation this morning have run into that time in your life when trouble has become so severe in your life that it has kicked you down into the ground. Absolutely nailed you. At that time, you're laying on the grass, you're bleeding out, and there's nothing left in you. There's no strength. There's absolutely nothing. There's no futures. There's no past. There's, the present is you are in trouble. You have been annihilated. And if you haven't been there, I hope you never get there. But for those of you that have been in that place, you know it's bad. And right in the seriousness of that, there's also an unbelievable blessing when you're down on the ground. The stars look brighter. The word of God changes in color. When you open up the scripture and you find things in scripture, they pop out at you. They actually come into your soul, those that are Christians, and they truly awaken you. And in those moments, you're embarrassed to admit that all too often, most of your days are consumed with dullness, flatness, not paying attention, no excitement, no actually grappling with the scripture the way we should. So when I say in the the bottom of the the pit of trouble, we see the horrible uh, oppression of things around us and we can't move, but the blessing is we actually start to see the beauty of the word. Now, individually, we're all going to have troubles. And they come like the sea. They, they come like the, uh, uh, the sea coming in and then ebbing out or flowing out. Sometimes it's very peaceful. Other times it comes. And every once in a while, there's this tsunami effect upon individuals. Well, that's not exactly where I want us to go today because I want to turn my attention to national troubles or worldly troubles where it actually involves people all around you. I mean, everybody around you, trouble has come. And then what is our response? And certainly as I view this this year over America, and interestingly enough, it's not just America. I mean, I know the election affects us right here, but it has a ripple effect all the way around the world. But the virus itself, it's affected us but it's had an effect all the way around the world. And I think the first time in my life, what I have seen is this is so pervasive. It's so all-inclusive that it awakens the senses to the fact that something is going on that's very strange. It's no longer an individual suffering that I'm looking at. It's corporate. It's, It's very large. And consequently, if people uh, meet that head on and say, there's nothing to worry about, I'm afraid that they are, they've been drinking too much Pollyanna Kool-Aid. Now, I t- truly understand that my propensity is to go to the other side from Pollyanna. 
Not all together, because there, there's a temptation to really go off the deep end on this. But we have to keep equilibrium and see things the way they truly are, and hopefully see things the way Christ sees them. Because we do have a propensity to have our imaginations run away with us and see things incorrectly. Hopefully today this is going to be something that's going to aid all of us in how to respond to trouble. But I know, even in preparation, it's been a short preparation, but I know for sure and for certain that whatever I impart today is going to be just flat words, no color, no understanding, unless the Holy Spirit takes it and does its work inside of your spirit. The sheer words will not do it. I know that. I know that absolutely. I've got five bullet points that I want to expand from uh, Psalm 37. There's much to say in Psalm 37 concerning what uh, God advises us to do when we're consumed with worry. And there's also much that he has to say about how he deals with um, unrighteousness and the things of evil. But I want us to concentrate on these five bullet points five bullet points, and hopefully what you take away from it, when you go out that door today, when you're thinking about these five bullet points, I want you to be thinking about these bullet points in relation to prayer. Not just facts on a page. Not some things that I've just imparted to to make sure that we use up the time in a sermon, but things I want you to actually wrestle with. First one is trust in the Lord. Second one is take delight in the Lord. The third one is commit your way to the Lord. And the fourth one is be still before the Lord. And finally, the fifth one, refrain from anger. Okay, you're going to find it in Psalm 37. It's right at the beginning from 1 through 8. And I want us to concentrate on each one of those, but the only way that you're going to get any value out of that is to meditate, pray, and actually be very, very honest in your prayers about that. Because after all, the very first one, first one out of the gate, trust in the Lord. How many times do we hear that among Christian brethren? It's a cheap cliché. When troubles abound, you'll find neighbors coming over or friends in the church coming over. All you need to do, brothers, trust in the Lord. Okay? There's much more to it than just a cheap cliche. Much, much, much more. But I want us to start out by looking at the very first verse of 37. And this is a psalm from David. It says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. I want us to concentrate on the stage that's set within this psalm. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. How applicable is that to us today? If you guys have been tuned in at all, I am mortified. I sit, I sit in my chair and I say, good night, Charlie Brown. The, 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 the courts have crumbled. The executive, the legislative branch, of the government is in shambles. Everyone around us is believing the lie. 
And so this, this man says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. And I have to admit, I'm looking at that and saying, how in the world am I not going to be wrapped up in worry? How in the world am I going to approach this, even the information that I'm getting every single day, and it only mounts. It's not decreasing. It's actually exploding in our our vision, the corruption that has come about. How am I going to respond to this? Well, you got to turn to the Word. And like I said, and this is very, very important, when you found yourself in a bind and trouble abounds all around you, that is the time when you start reading the Word correctly. All right, so it says, verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Trust in the Lord and do good. And I want to uh, expand on that a little bit by going to one of my favorite Psalms, Psalms 25. I won't read the whole thing. I want us to listen to this, Psalm 25. This is one of those Psalms, I've used it. When I was down in the grass, I was bleeding out, I grabbed Psalm 25. It just poured over my soul. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. That's the only thing you can do. Because there's no help anywhere else. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Oh my God, I trust in you. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are God of my salvation. For you I will wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Then I'm going to skip over to verse 15. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all of my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. I've been there. And it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible when people are kicking you so badly and you cry out to the Lord, Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. My integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of my troubles. Psalm 25. Back to Psalm 37. Considering trusting in the Lord, Calvin makes this comment. David warns us that in presuming to take upon us the gift of our own life, and to provide for all of our affairs as if we were able to bear so great a burden, 
we are greatly deceived. Our only remedy is to fix our eyes upon the providence of God. And I want to stop here. There's a continuation of that. I want to ask all of you to do a reminder, actually a a mind search of the things in your past where you've noticed that God has actually led you through the soup. You've seen it. You've identified it. You felt it within your heart. It was God, God alone, that you took you through the dark, dark valley of trouble. If someone here this morning has never gone through those valleys, and you are Christian, you will go through those valleys. But what Calvin is talking about right here is actually feed upon that which is historical in your life, how God has actually led you through. He has secured you. He's protected you. He's encouraged you. And that's where your mind needs to be. But it also needs to be on the larger scale of providences. We need to see, because it's written from Genesis to Revelation, the providence, the good providence of God in securing his church, securing his people. It's all over the pages. When I teach my Sunday school class, I line it out from from person to person. This is how God has dealt with Abraham, how he's done with David, etc., etc. And these are the good providences that we have seen, how God has led his people. That's the food that we feed on when trouble abounds. He goes on and says, and draw from it consolation in all our sorrows. When God has taken upon himself the management of our affairs, there is no room for fear. Do you actually believe that God does that for us individually? That he actually takes up your life? He steers the course of your life? That you are actually secured by his protective hand in all the things that you do and say? Well, the second one follows right after that. And it's found in verse 4. And it's two-part. But I want to concentrate on the first part. Delight yourself in the Lord. And the second part of this is, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. That's a cheap, uh, cheap uh, cliche that's always uh, bantered around in Christian circles. Uh, delight yourself in the Lord. And we, upon our hour and a half service on Sunday morning, and every once in a while we pick up the Bible during the week, and every once in a while we pray, we're declaring to God that we delight primarily in you. I don't think so. I don't think so. Where you spend your time, that's an indication where what you delight in. And sorry to come down so heavy on you, but oftentimes I'm slain in my own conscience of the fact that I waste so much time on other things and I pretend like my chief delight in everything is God, God Almighty. Sorry. It's not true. In every one of the things that I'm detailing here, I'm giving out to you, 
These are actually bullet points for us to feed on concerning prayer and confession in prayer. God in heaven, I am so sorry. You're altogether beautiful. You are our security. You have done for me what I could never do. Why do I treat you so poorly? Why do I view you so as as though you're valueless? When God is your chief desire, then that is how you you actually delight in God. Your chief desire. When your thoughts are his thoughts, you submit your thoughts to God. How do you do that? How is that even possible for us to do that? That's what Paul is asking us to do in Colossians, isn't it? Set your mind on the things above. But what it leads to is a contentment in God alone. God spoke to me earlier on in my marriage. I'll confess this to you. My contentment was in my wife. Okay? And many of us get into that trap. We use something else. If it's not your wife, it's your job, it's money. It's, it's pleasure. It's going boating, whatever it is. But that's your primary contentment. That's, that's what you invest everything in. And in fact, if that's, re- if it's subtracted from you, you're in a world of hurt. God tapped me on the shoulder. Well, you know something? When contentment is in God alone, that shapes our prayers. It molds our prayers. We're reminded even of the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He is going to lead me. Even through the valley of the shadow of death, he will lead me. Because, why is that? Because he is my chief contentment. He is my chief delight. None other things, no other things are my chief delight. And at this juncture, I beg of all of us to be real in our prayers. We can confess that all too often we are distracted by all the other things that we count as very valuable to us, and we put God on the back burner. If that's our case today, we need to repent. But the second part of that is... Verse 4, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And just as a reminder concerning that, we don't need to be running out, running out there and start praying to God for those things that are frivolous. James 4, 3, 4 says, you do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And the next... The next section there, the next clause after that is is very telling. You adulterous people. Barring everything else except God. You're making everything else around you your God. And you come to me asking for things that have no relevance to who I am and to my glory. So when he says he will grant you the desires of your heart, it's in accordance with our relationship to God in which we absolutely agree with God in the way he thinks. 
The third one is, I, in my opinion, <laughs> is very difficult. It is very difficult. I'll be honest with you. I'm working through this and I'm saying, this is my Achilles heel. And it may be yours too. <laughs> Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. Now, I want to bring out the, the Hebrew word for commit right here because I think it has a more of an impact on all of us because we have some kind of vague idea what you do when you commit something to someone else. But actually, the Hebrew word indicates that it's speaking about rolling over onto God. You take your troubles, all of your anxieties, all of those things that are actually plaguing the inside of your soul, you roll them up. Actually roll the whole thing up. And then you just roll it on to God. This is yours. I give this to you. When Stephen was uh, stoned, he did the same thing, didn't he? I commit my life unto you, O Lord. Roll it all up. This is yours. It's not mine. It's yours. When we have troubles to the, to the point that they are distracting us, keeping us from those things that God has asked us to do, take those things, all of those things, roll them up and hand them to God. Now, the reason why I said this is my Achilles heel, there is a propensity, not just in me, but I think most of us, we want to be about doing something. Us, we need, we need to put on something and we need to go and fight something. And it actually is somewhat of a natural reaction in all of men, isn't it? Especially women. I'm going to use this as an example. If, if you touch a, a mother's child, there's going to be trouble in Dodge City. If you're plaguing her, there's going to be trouble, okay? Some of us more. I mean, I, I won't mention names, but there's going to be trouble. You understand what I'm saying? That's a natural reaction for all of us, and especially mothers. And so it's the hardest thing for us to do to surrender that reaction to someone else. You, you do what I cannot do. And that's why I said this is an Achilles heel for me. Do you know why it's particularly difficult for me at this stage? It's been 50 years ago. But you know, as I went through training before I went to Vietnam, the only thing that I heard, I mean, it's crashing in on my mind, kill, 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 kill. I hated it. I hated that directive, kill, kill, kill. Kill what? Kill the enemy. Okay? And the enemy happened to be communists. I'm sitting in the sea of communist invasion. They have breached the wall. They have come into our country. They actually swarm everywhere. And if you know anything about Marxist ideology, their prime target is what? They're going after God. They want to get rid of God. By extension, that's us. That's Christians. They want to actually suppress us to the point where we have no more voice. Now, if you take that into your mind, into your soul, what do you want to do? You want to fight back. I want to fight back. 
I would have said, nope, nope, you're not doing that. You are not going to come in and do that to me, to my church. You're not going to do that. Wow. And the psalmist is saying, I want you to commit your, your ways to the Lord. I want you to roll up all your anxieties, your troubles. I want you to give them, to hand them to God. You see what I'm saying when actually this is really something we need to be praying about. Asking God to enable us to have that mindset. To surrender that which we cannot and should not be doing. Commit yourselves all your thoughts, all your anxieties, nothing left of our own strength. And that's why I'm thinking to myself, the only place that you actually grapple with this is when you are on the grass and you're bleeding out. There's nothing left in you. There's no more strength. That's when you actually surrender to God. Using a medical scale on this, most of us have a stage four in trouble, or straight stage one in trouble. Sometimes it slips to two. Very rarely does it go to stage four. Terminal. Now, like I said before, uh, you can't accuse me of Pollyanna um, ideologies. And as I look at America, I'm thinking it's at stage 3.5. Troubles are here. Well, four is very, uh, very difficult. I don't think is quite as difficult as number three. It says, be still before the Lord. Be still. Verse seven, be still before the Lord. And it dovetails with what I just said about natural uh, inclination to kick back, to fire back, to speak back. To do something about it. As trouble mounts upon you, you want to do and say something. Now, you all have to agree with me that since all of this has fallen upon our heads, most of our conversations have been centered around one way or another about what has been wrapping us all around in the virus and in, in uh, Trump, etc. like that. It's, it's consumed our thoughts. And consequently, we speak like that. We're constantly speaking about these situations. But what is your heart doing? Because I don't think God bars us from communicating with one another, encouraging one another, sharing with one another. That's not what God does. But he is very interested in your heart. Are you wrangling? Or are you quiet before the Lord in quiet submission unto the Lord? Your way, not my way. Rest in the Lord. In Lamentations 3 28 through 33. And if you know anything about Jeremiah's life, he's talking from experience here. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes. And let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast over forever. Do you know... In all of these that I've read so far, if we've been paying attention at all, you see somebody rising, and all the five of the bullet points 
It's our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ. In every one of these, he did it perfectly. When they were yelling and screaming at him, they were beating him and putting the thorns on his head, he spoke not. He did not revile against those that put all of the trouble upon his head. This is a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ in full living color. And he says, you, my brothers and sisters that belong to me, I want you to walk as I walked. You know, if I took a survey this morning, raise your hand, all the ones that are just so excited that you get to suffer. Nobody would raise their hand, right? We don't delight in suffering, but God says, if you want to be my disciple and follow after my son, you will suffer. Now, make no mistake about it. God is not mean. He's not evil. He's not corrupt. And so when he demands of us something that we recoil and say, I don't like suffering, God doesn't say, I don't care. I I enjoy having you suffer. That's not his attitude. God is love, love altogether. And the reason why we suffer, the reason why trouble abounds throughout the world is for our good and his glory. Period. Our good, his glory. Psalm 46.10 Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in all of the earth. You know, these uh, trash wads that are upsetting everything in America right now, they think they have the upper edge. They think this is just going to roll on just exactly the way it is right now. Them succeeding in suppressing all truth, all common decency, God says, I will be exalted in all of the earth. In Exodus fourteen thirteen, Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. What a day of deliverance. Shaken in their boots, worried like crazy. There they are, they're charging down upon us. What in the world are we going to do? Good night, child. We're, we're undone. And Moses says, I want you to stand firm. But he says something else too. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Stop yelling and screaming in your heart. When you do that, you're actually saying something to God. I don't trust you. I don't think you're going to solve this problem. Silence is not murmuring or complaining. Okay? That's another one. It's a flicking of the ear. It's kind of like God, and God does it all the time. Sometimes he doesn't flick the ear. Sometimes he really... But, but this one, silence is not murmuring or complaining. Philippians 2.14 Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. 
Now I want you to catch this, among whom you shine as lights in the world. That dovetails with what is found Verse 6, he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. When trouble abounds, when the heathen rage, corruption surrounds us, if you are truly Christian, you'll be lights in a dark place. The last one is refrain from anger. Another one, I've given you five, and I hope all of you, this is set hard on your heart, that you will go to to pray to God, that you will deliver us from our natural mindedness. Refrain from anger. Forsake wrath. Because vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Well, how does the psalmist say that God will repay? Well, I'm just going to read a couple of verses here. The wicked plots, and this is 12 and 13. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. So first of all, he laughs. But then in verse 38, and we could cover a lot more because there's much contained in verse 37 about how God actually treats those that are against him. But in verse 38... But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. Transgressors transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. Well, in taking those five bullet points and considering them, I want to add something else to you as a reminder that comes from Ephesians Ephesians 5.16, redeem the time because the days are evil. Redeeming is the concept of buying back. We have wasted so much time in our lives and we're in dire straits right now. It is time for us to stop wasting time. And how do we do that? Turn to God's word. So Jesus said to them in John 12, 34 and 36, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. While we still have the light, and this is he was talking to the disciples. This was he was in the presence of them. He said, take advantage of this. Well, you know something? We still have that light in this right here and by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And in the day that's most appropriate and good for us, we need to take every advantage that we actually know what God's word is. I speak to you, my students. I speak to you very directly. Okay, in your mind's eye, you're thinking that uh, uh, time is stretching out before you and you can waste, you can frivol away all things because there's days ahead of you that you can get serious with God. I say no more. No, you can't do it. You have to stop right here. You have to think about what your priority is. Take delight in the the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. 
and be still before God. Let him fill you by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And above all, I want you to get rid of this, this anxious uh, anger that wants to strike out and kill. Now I want to put it down to a, a, a very personal level. You know, we do in our heart of hearts, we would like God to do a real Siberian monster mash on some of these people that have brought so much distress in our lives, don't we? I mean, if we're honest, we we'll say, God, I want you to deal with these people. And I'm not going to name names because you all have the names in your mind. You all have those names. What if I said we were once just like them? Just like them. That just curls my hair with disgust. But if I look at my life, I have to say I have to agree. You know what's cha- you know what the difference is between those people and me? God, by the, li- uh, by the work of the Holy Spirit, transformed the deadness of their hearts and brought them forward in grace to embrace him. Are they enemies? Yes. But what our prayers should be, that they should no longer be enemies of Christ, but converted. How hard is that? Really hard. But that's what our duty is as Christians, to pray for them, to pray for one another. Let's close in a word of prayer. Blessed Father, I pray that these things that I have put before the people will take root, that they will meditate upon them, that these will not be just moments that we have spent in your, your house of worship uh, as a waste of time. God, I need your spirit to work with us, to wake us up. We lie to ourselves all the time. When we look in the mirror, we all say we're great Christians. And I know what you say to that. I am so thankful that you're long-suffering. And I'm so thankful, God, that your mercy abounds and you're just so loving. Lead us, I pray, this day and help us to meditate upon these things. In Jesus Christ's precious name, amen.